Would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 11? It is uh, my distinct uh, privilege to have to try to figure out how to follow up Mo last week because that was really good. Uh, you, you always know it's good like when you hear like Tom Carr in the front row go, wow. <laughs> or Jamie Brandenburg go, hmm, hmm. And I heard both of those while Mo was teaching, so I knew I have, I have big shoes to, to fill this week. Um, while you're going there, I actually want uh, to share with you a story that happened in Nepal last month while we were there. Um, many of you know, but many of you probably don't know that uh, in recent time in Nepal, and by recent I mean like November 2018, they started passing some new laws there that are very um, anti Christian, like very much. Uh, Nepal is close to China. There's a lot of communism that's spilling into uh, into there. Uh, there is a pastor on. The, so we were right on the border of India, and right across the border in India, there's a pastor from Shelbyville uh, who was arrested. He was imprisoned. He's still sitting in India right now, uh, waiting for. Uh, trial, and I use that word very loosely, uh, that's been delayed now even until December. And so all the, that's what we're sitting into. And it's like, hey, this is different than it was uh, even just a few years ago in Nepal. But we had gathered in this very colorful room. I was hoping that Shannon maybe could take some of these design ideas into the new facility because I swear you throw a black light and a strobe in there like it could have been a sweet rager. But the... Uh, these were a hundred or so pastors and leaders from around the region who had joined us that morning. And as we were sitting down to gather Monday morning, these um, four dudes, you, you can see them right there, they just look like a barrel of laughs, don't they? So these guys <laughs> come walking in and they got their arms crossed. This is a 100% true story and I'm laughing about it now, but at that moment, not so much. Um, and so I lean over to our pastor, Berendra, and I said, hey, bro, who are those guys? And he was super jumpy um, because, again, before the law was, you know, proselytization, Christianity, but it was more like th throwing trash on the ground. Like it's frowned upon, you'll get a fine, but everybody does it. Not nobody in this room, of course. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, go, you drive around, there's trash everywhere, so somebody's clearly throwing it on the ground and nobody's going to jail for it. But this is different now. They're saying you go to jail for this stuff. And so he leans over and he says, these are guys from parliament. Um, they're, they're Congress, whatever, and they're part of, these are members of the Communist Party. So Brenda is a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. And I, uh, in full disclosure, uh, I don't know if this was faith or fear, or I don't know, but I, I pulled out my phone and I started texting to um, a friend of mine who's an attorney who kind of helps us get out of these pinches. And I was like, hey, Jay, this is Darren. Uh, I'm in Bharatnagar, Nepal. Uh, if you're getting this, I've been arrested. Please tell my wife that I love her, that it's going to be okay. Tell, this, is the, this is the text I'm saying. I'm just like, okay, I don't, what would I want to say if I got one shot at this? And uh, yeah, so here, don't respond to this text message because I'm assuming they're going to confiscate my phone and I don't want them to know. I'm going to delete this right after I send it. And so I'm, and I sit back and I've got the phone in the hand with the thumb over the send button. And, uh, and they get up and they start to talk. And what, and, and what was really annoying because my pastor friend, the, the interpreter, he's trying to process it all too. And I'm like, bro, I'm going to really need you to interpret a lot faster than what you're interpreting right now. Like, 
Like, the suspense is killing me. And so uh, he gets up, uh, and they say um, what they're, the version of what they're saying is that you guys, uh, this gathering is illegal. Um, but we remember that last year when the floods came, that you, and he looks over at us and look at the leaders, were in the trenches with us helping our children, helping our families. You were sending money. You were, and so while we maybe don't understand or don't agree with what you're doing here, we appreciate what you've done and we will allow this gathering and if anyone gives you any trouble, tell them to call us. Um, and then they got up and they lit a uh, unity candle. I guess those are not only used in weddings in, uh, in Nepal, but in church. They shared a little bit uh, of the gathering. And here's, you know, we bless what you're doing here. I, whatever the communist word for bless is. I don't know what that even would be. But, um, and by the way, this guy over on the far right with his arms crossed, you really can't see him very good in that photo. He he's really was a breath of fresh air. Um, he... <laughs> He turned out to be the chief of police for Bharatnagar. He came the next day and had, had a meal with us. And we talked and we talked about Jesus and why we're doing what we're doing and why we would fly all the way around the world to this no-rent, nowhere town in Nepal. And I believe that there are seeds that are being planted in the lives of these government leaders in Nepal uh, that are going to, you know. And by the way, 62 unreached tribes in Nepal, 61 now, because we planted a church while we were there in an in a area that is unreached with an indigenous pastor who is there right now, today, doing the work of the kingdom of God. So I mentioned that because these guys were the equivalent of the religious leaders that Jesus was encountering, okay? They had the power to imprison him. They had the power to... Uh, turn him over to authorities. That's who he was encountering here. And in Mark eleven twenty seven, 27, it says that they came to him and saying, what gives you the right to do what you're doing? And it's in a modern parlance, it's who do you think you are walking in here, turning over our tables, cursing our fig tree, saying that you say unto this mountain. Remember what you learned last week? Say unto this mountain. And he was looking at standing at the base of the temple mount where the law, where regulations and religion was born. You say unto this mountain and it'll be cast into the sea. Say with your heart, say with your mouth, believe in your heart. It was the language of faith, the saving faith. He was literally popping their balloon. So they're not in the mood for this and he answers their question, like, who do you think you are? He answers the question with a question. And then verse 1 of chapter 12, he answers it with a parable. And I want to start reading right there, chapter 12, verse 1, that Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He will put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some for, uh, farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him. They beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And then he sent another servant to them. They struck him on the head, treated him shamefully. And then he sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, but others they killed. In verse 6, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last, saying, 
they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. But what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's from Psalm 118. And then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, and so they left him and they went away. That's God's word. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your word to be a light for us today, to be a lamp, to be the path for us that we need from you today. Lord, would you give us illumination? Would you give us a rhema word that will not just be in our heads, but in our, our hearts? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if I have any theater kids in here, former theater kids, but do you remember the old, you must pay the rent. I can't pay the rent. Come on, anybody? Oh, dear God, am I that old? Okay, Connie, but you're not that old, so you can't be. Do you remember? It's the, the, okay, Rocky and Bullwinkle. (laughs) Of course Brian would know. Rocky and Bullwinkle. (laughs) All right, look, I got to do it just because you don't know. So when we were kids, uh, maybe it's a Nebraska thing. Do they do this in the North Dakota? Canadians? No? (laughs) They would, uh... They would do, they would fold this up and it would be, they would fold it like a bow and it would be, yes, Connie knows, all right? So I'm not the only one. <laughs> so it's the story of, of this woman who can't pay the rent. Okay, Lynn's getting it, yeah. Uh, you must pay the rent because mustaches are apparently evil in, in, in theater. I don't, skates, I, not you, of course. Yeah, you must pay the rent. But I can't pay the rent, right? And it goes on and on and, and then in walks Dudley Do-Right with the bow tie and saying, I'll pay the rent. Right. Now, you kids with your little YouTube and your little things, this is how we used to entertain ourselves, right? We didn't have TikTok. (laughs) I didn't have Vine. (laughs) We had to make our own. (laughs) But as I was reading this, I'm like, oh, this is the first version of you must pay the rent. I can't pay the rent. I'll pay the rent. Because that's how it unfolds in this, that they are telling, Jesus is saying to them that the vineyard, right? There's a guy who made a vineyard and he rented it out to farmers and their rent, so to speak, was a portion of their crops. It was an early version of sharecropping. That was a very normal thing to come and you use my land, but I need your rent is is grapes for me, right? That's sort of the picture that he's uh, unfolding here. And look, if you've ever been a landlord, if you've ever rented a place, you know that there's a relationship there, right? That uh, my wife and I, in a previous life, we owned a rental home and we had uh, owned uh, a building in Cool Springs that we rented out. And, and here's the thing, inside that building, they had a lot of freedom to do what they needed to do in that building. But if I came back and they had knocked down a wall, put in a jacuzzi in the living room and made a, like that wasn't part of the plan because it's my house, 
right? You're renting it and you have a lot of freedom in there, but there's some things I'm just going to need you to not do to my place. Okay. Midnight keg parties. Nah, I was just not, not really smiling about that. And so that's the relationship that Jesus is talking about to the Pharisees that you think you're in charge and you own this vineyard, but you're just tenants in it. And it made them angry in a way that we have not seen previously in the book of Mark. And the reason I think that it made them angry was Jesus was talking about a, a, uh, a vineyard with a, with a wine press, right? With a wall and a watchtower. And this was the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the leaders. They knew that Isaiah chapter 5 was a song, a prophecy about a vineyard where there would be a wall, where there would be a wine press. It's the exact same language. And in that prophecy, it doesn't go well for them. And God here, Jesus is saying, this is you. And what do they know from Isaiah 5 in verse 7? It says that the vineyard is the Lord Almighty. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. He just punched them right in the gut. This is, they had no question as to what he was talking about. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. You have cursed the fig tree, a picture of Israel in Hosea, saying there's no fruit on it. You have turned over our tables. You're saying, say unto this mountain, the mountain of the law that'll be thrown into the sea. And here you are with this one. It's over for you, Jack. They knew what it meant. They were raging against him. And the fact of the matter is that we as humans in our even modern context, it seems to me like there's two kinds of humans. Okay, those not in Christ. There's two kinds. Those who know there is an owner and still walk around acting like an owner, right? What do you say when someone comes in and starts, you're just walking around here like you own the place. There are those and then there are those who don't know or don't believe, choose not to believe that there's an owner, and they also walk around like they own the place. And the Bible rejects either of those as options. In the first, those who believe there's an owner, I mean, it's all of us in some way. Because if I believe that there's an owner, but I'm going to go ahead and add a pool in the backyard, right, without talking to the owner, without the permission of the owner... You know, I need some permission from that. Like that's, but if I'm going to say, hey, I know there's an owner, he's far away, but I'm going to go ahead and just bulldoze this thing and build a whole new one. And we do that in our finances. We say that I'm going to do what I want to do with them. We do it with sex and sexuality. That this, I know you have designed me in this specific way, but if I'm the owner, then I'm going to make the decision on how that works. And by the way, all those commands of God in our lives, they're not a burden. They're actually for our flourishing. A man in West Africa with four wives is a burden. He can't financially provide for four wives. So what happens is those women are now with children. They've got to have lots of children because they've got to keep them in the farm. and They've got to keep them working. And so it continues this cycle of poverty. God's design of marriage of a man and a woman was a, was a beautiful thing of the masculine and the feminine coming together. It's how we will flourish best. It's not a burden. But as a tenant, I'm going to say, look, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but I got my own plans for the place here. So there are those in that, and by the way, even in our own culture right now, all, our culture specifically says that the truth is inside of you. You have the power within you. You set the criteria. You set the values. You set, and that is whether it's Tony Robbins or Gary Vee, that is what they're saying, and it is a antithesis of what Jesus is saying, which is that you are not the owner. I am the owner. And of course, 
if those, maybe you don't, if you haven't yet, you're going to have one, maybe even in your own family, but those who have now gone to the journey of there is no God at all. Okay, there are those that say, hey, I believe there's, and by the way, most of Western Christianity, I would say, is probably this. I believe there's an owner. We're going to keep God in the national anthem. We're going to let Beyonce thank God at the award show, but then we're going to go live however we want to live. So that's a version of what's happening in Western culture. But then there's the other that says, there is no God at all, and I'm the owner. And, and I was, I don't know how many of you have spent much time reading Nietzsche. I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's uh, not the most exciting reading in the world. But what I appreciate about Nietzsche is he was really one of the only and maybe the last intellectually honest atheists. Because Nietzsche, as a philosopher, came to the conclusion that if there is no God, then I have to admit that there is no right and wrong, there is no morals, there is no, because how do I know what the morals are then? Who gets to decide who the morals are? He would say in one of his writings that a human is no different than a stone dropped in a river if there is no God. Because in that context, the sun will go out one day, right? This planet will be gone. Everything you ever knew, everyone you ever loved will be gone. It will be forgotten. And if you're the owner of that vineyard, you have to admit that you're the owner of a meaningless vineyard. And look, we kind of know this intuitively, that our life cycle, our meaning has a fuse, has a, a, a short fuse on it. Why do you think Ancestry.com is so popular? Because I'm trying to figure out what my grandparents didn't tell me. I'm trying to learn through court records and this piece of mail here that to try to piece together this part of my grandparents' life, my great-grandparents' life. That's only a couple generations ago. And I, maybe in this room it'd be more, but if you were to ask a group of 20-somethings the name, could you name all of your great-grandparents? And most of them wouldn't be able to because their meaning stopped when they left. And that's, if you don't believe that there is a God, you have to come to that conclusion, if you're gonna be honest, that you're in a meaningless place, that this is not. But the truth of the matter is that that is why God, even in this vineyard, is saying that if I'm the owner, okay, there's something beyond here, that there will be meaning, and it will. What did Jesus call it? Fruit that will last. It'll last beyond Ancestry.com. It'll last through the millennia because that is the promise that he's done here. And by the way, Nietzsche's response to this, his idea, and by the way, he died at 49, uh, crazy. He went out of his mind. And I would too if I was trying to figure all this out. But his solution was the Ubermensch. Doesn't that sound like a Dwight K. Schrute thing? Um, Ubermensch. It's German for Superman. With a, with a straight face, this philosopher who was brilliant said, our answer is we have to evolve as humans to finally become like a Superman, and that's how we will do this. In fairness, that is what Hitler used to inform much of his eugenics, was that if we can eliminate all of the riftraft, that we could create the Ubermensch. Now, in fairness, Ubermensch and Pharisees are the same thing. It's a different side going up the same mountain. On the religious side, if I can just be good enough, I can keep all these rules and these policies and the procedures and I can rule over that. That's the ubermensch of the Pharisees. On the secular side, it's the same thing. And look, it's been a couple hundred years since Nietzsche has been on the earth. How's that working out for us? Is the ubermensch here yet? No. And that's the thing. We act like an owner, right? We 
Well, we're not. He's the owner. And it means that if we're not the owner, then we're going to have to pay the rent. That's what owners do. They collect the rent. And as a tenant, look, I tell you, you know, has, has anybody ever owned a rental property? Yeah, yeah, a few of us. And how fun is it when the rent check don't come? Right, that's not fun at all. And there's reasons and things, and maybe you've been financially behind on it. But as the guy that owns the property, it's like, I kind of need you to do that. And so what did Jesus, says the father said, that you gotta, I'm going to send this guy to collect it and this guy. And, and by the way, in this story, these messengers are the prophets. You beat this one, you beat that one, you killed this one. You, and he's really coming to tell them, these prophets are saying, really, to collect the rent, which is, by the way, fruit. That's the fruit of that. And to say that you are not a owner, you are a tenant, the constant reminder. And every time they were reminded, they killed them. Every time they were reminded, they beat them. And the reason is this, that they didn't just not want to pay the rent. They couldn't pay the rent. Two reasons. One, because the carnal mind, Romans 8, 5 tells us, the carnal mind is enmity against God. They couldn't pay it because they didn't want to pay it. And they didn't want to pay it because in a carnal mind, it doesn't say the carnal mind has enmity against God. It is enmity against God. So you can't pay it because you don't want to. Because at the end of the day, I want to be who I want to be. I want to date who I want to date. I want to say my body, my choice. I want to say this is my freedom, my thing. And because of that, that is enmity against God. And you can say, well, I don't really hate God as long as he gets over there and doesn't bother me and doesn't inform my decisions. But the fact is, is that that's not how that works in an owner-tenant relationship that he has to step in and say, okay, if you're destroying this part of it, I have something to say about that. And in this context, he's saying that they I don't want to pay the rent. I, I'm enmity against God. But I would go so far as to say that not only did they not want to, that they could not pay the rent. When you go back to Isaiah, to that prophecy, when it talks about the vineyard, it says when God came to the vineyard, there was no good fruit. They didn't have the fruit to pay the rent to begin with. That even if they wanted to, they couldn't. There was no rent to pay. They couldn't afford it. The debt was too great. And so what they did was just, we'll just kick him out. We'll push it away. Since we can't do this, we're going to take our own relationship. We're going to steal the inheritance for ourselves. And in our modern context, God still sends us messengers Sends us messengers when we don't have a relationship with him. Sends us relationships when we do, just to remind us, you're not the owner. You know, the obvious messengers, everyone, probably everyone in this room has a teacher somewhere along the way, a Sunday school teacher. I still remember mine, Tim Crowell, speaking into my life when I was a kid. Pastor Patsy Busey speaking. Like, there were messengers along the way that came, and they reminded me, you are not an owner. You are a tenant. That might have been the language, but that's what they were saying. And some of those messengers in our life, those longings that are unfulfilled. It's a messenger saying, you're not an owner. You're a tenant. You're not meant to be this way. You can't, that, the reminder of that for you. The, the unfulfilled longing, uh, one of the things that happens, and some of you are young enough to have not had this happen yet, but it's coming for you. The Genesis 3 world is going to sucker punch you. And the reminder that you and your control was nothing but an illusion. 
And it speaks of that there is an owner and a tenant. This thing, when something bad happens to you, it's not proof that there isn't a God. It's proof that there is a God. You don't control this. There is an owner and you're not him. And that owner continues to send us messages. And when life doesn't go the way I want it, when I have asked for that thing that I thought I needed, for that thing I was sure I wanted, and you know, the great poet Garth Brooks (laughs) wrote it beautifully when he said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers because that thing that I didn't get in that moment wasn't what God wanted me to have. I'm not an owner. He's the owner. Sent messengers to collect, but they couldn't pay the rent. There was no fruit. They had enmity against God. Why do the heathen rage, Psalm 2, and the people imagine a vain thing? Romans 8 5, the carnal mind is enmity against God. They weren't going to pay the rent. And so, what do we do? Dudley Do Right shows up and says, I'll pay the rent. I'll pay. And he says it here. He had a son whom he loved. By the way, when someone, if you're a landlord, and they're not paying the rent, and you send someone over there and they beat them, what do you do? do you send, I send like the cops over, okay? I'm like, hey, Verboski, what are you doing? Can you get on horseback and ride over and show them how to pay the rent? You send an army. You do something, But he sent a son whom he loved. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, I'm the one they sent. He sent me to come to pay this rent for you. Because the truth is, is all the religious activities in the world, they're not going to save you. In fact, there's a... uh, quote from an old Flannery O'Connor book. One of the characters said this. This was a description of this character. He knew the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Think about what he just said. My religious activities, me being a very good and moral and upstanding citizen and getting all the rules and the regulations right is my way of not needing Jesus. Because now I'm proud. It's, have you ever met a theological porcupine before? You know what I'm talking about? They make a lot of really good points. And they're not touchable. <laughs> Which is why most religious people are kind of mean. Like when you've come across someone, religion, Twitter is full of this right now. Like, Jesus died, he resurrected from the dead, and he's grace and mercy. And so, why are you so mad about that? <laughs> and the truth is, is that they're mad because they're actually, they're, do, they're even using that to avoid Jesus. And we have this way where we will, in our own life, when I'm making this decision, I'm going to handle my marriage the way I want to. I'm going to handle this. Okay, Jesus, I know you've asked me to do this, but I'm going to do it this way. It's my version of killing Jesus and building my own in that context. The theological porcupines. (laughs) Here's the thing. It sounds like I'm saying to you this morning that the answer to this 
is to become a really good tenant, okay? Because Jesus has come, he's gonna pay the rent, the stone that the builder rejected, right? That is the stone that becomes a cornerstone. That stone could either crush you or you can build on top of it. There is no middle ground. So Darren, aren't you saying if you just become a really good tenant that that's all that matters? Remember what we've talked about in, in, in weeks previous that when you're reading a parable, it's important to recognize who you are in the story, okay? The characters in this story, You've got the owner, who we know is God, right? We know that the son the, uh, is Jesus. We know that the tenants is Israel. We know that the messengers are the prophets. Who are you in this story? Because if you're a tenant, then your life is going to be spent working and building and, and trying to make him happy as I can pay the rent and it'll never happen because the fruit will never be enough. Are you a tenant? There's one more character in this story. And that is he's going to give it to, quote, the others. The others are those in Christ. Because you and I are not tenants. We are sons of God. And you're like, Darren, that's so misogynistic. You just said sons, you didn't say daughters. Can you, can, give me a second, and if you're still mad, you can tweet about it. But, if, but listen, they said sons because in that culture that Jesus was writing in, the son got the inheritance. The daughter was not, okay? And by the way, Jesus came and blew that whole thing up, just so you know. Before women's rights ever happened was Jesus letting women preach the gospel. There was Jesus setting women free to do things. So that, don't even go there. But the point is, you are a son of God. You are not a tenant. And the way that you are a tenant, I love this, but I hope this is as good as it sounded in my head, so you'll tell me later if it's not. Because if you go back to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 9, where it says that Israel was the vineyard, the next sentence says that the vine whom I delighted in was Judah. Jesus, a lion of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49, 9, 10, 11, Jacob's prophesying over his sons and he gets to Judah and he says, Judah, you're a lion's cub, you're gonna do this or that. And then it says, and you're gonna tie your foal to the vine and you will be washed in the blood of the grapes. That's the prophecy from Genesis 49:11. Jesus, a lion of the tribe of Judah. In this vineyard, there were vines, and the vines are Jesus. The metaphor is so deep and it's so profound that in the vine, Jesus would then say in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. And I have called you to bear much fruit, fruit that will Last. I want you to do something for me at some point. Drive out by Arrington Vineyards. And I want you to look at those vines and tell me if you see a single one of them struggling and straining and freaking out and pressing on and stressing, trying to make fruit. They're just hanging in there. They're just letting the gardener do his work. And as long as they're attached to the vine, if you remain in me and I remain in you, grafted in the whole... The New Testament is just pregnant with this kind of language. Fruit isn't an effort, it's a response. 
It just happens. And you're not the gardener in this story. You're not the tenant. You're not the, you are a vine, a t- branch attached to the vine. And because of that, now you, Galatians 3.28 says that you are not just out there. You are a son. You are an heir, a co-heir with Jesus. Look, you know who's not paying rent at my house? I'll give you one guess. You know who's not going and paying for stuff in the pantry? Because they're my kids. Now, do they still honor the, our home? And do they still honor the thing? Well, some, sometimes. But do they? I'm sorry. <laughs> Full disclosure. Um, but they do it because they're a son. They don't do it because they're a tenant. Jesus, the stone that the builder rejected, he says that this stone is either going to crush you or you're going to build on top of it. There is no middle ground. You are either the owner or you're the owner's son. You can die like a tenant or you can live like a son. There is no middle ground. And that's the promise of God. That's the goodness of his grace. It's like he just drops a grace bomb right in the middle of this passage and is blowing up all over us that the implications are massive for us. The reason he's throwing that mountain into the sea, the mountain of the law, the mountain of religion, the mountain if I just be good enough, then I'll get something is because there was no fruit from that. He cursed a fig tree because it had leaves, because it didn't have fruit, because it wasn't the season of fruit. That was the season of the law. It was the season of the Ten Commandments. And that. But now we're in a new season where you can have fruit because you just remain attached to the giver of the fruit. And by the way, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Just, I've said this before, but it might be worth bear repeating. It says love, joy, peace, long-suffering. But it says this, the fruit of the Spirit is, not are. Fruit of the Spirit is love, singular. And then it says love, long-suffering, joy, peace. The fruit of the Spirit is an apple. It's red, it's juicy, it's crisp, it's tasty. The, the rest of those are just describing love. And Darren, how do you know that? Because 1 Corinthians says love is patient, love is kind. Love. It describes it there. I'm just letting the Bible interpret the Bible. The point is, is that fruit that will last, of you just hanging in there with the Father, of I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm no longer a tenant that's renting that can't afford the bill, I have just been adopted into the kingdom of God, I am a branch that's been grafted in, and the fruit that I produce now is not fruit just for me, but fruit for him. And that's a way different way to live. The typical American Christianity, right, which is that if I just do this, then he's going to do that. And we have this little deal in place. And so what happens, of course, is when the when something didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen, then that means either God has betrayed me or I am in so much sin that he can't possibly bless me. That is not a son. That's how a tenant thinks. Do I still get to let God define how I'm going to be married and define? Absolutely. Because I'm a son. And most of us probably, I don't know, all of us, but for sure some of us, we, don't have, we didn't really have a good relationship with a father. Even how do I even, I don't know, father, how is that supposed to be? But even if you didn't have a good relationship with a father, the only reason you know that is because there is a picture out there somewhere that is a relationship of a good father that you know exists. Even that is a clue to where you're supposed to be. 
Gang, speak unto the mountain of religion in your life this week and cast it into the sea. I think in the body of Christ, some of the, at the core level here, there's depression and anger and sadness and all that. But underneath all of that is this under, there's water under it, and that water under it is because I have forgotten that I'm a son, because I'm trying to live in this religious way. And the freedom that Jesus came to give us, that water is all about his grace, all about his love, all about the work that he did. And because of that, now I'm just a son. I have the full privilege, a co-heir with Christ. Are you kidding me? I don't even know how that works. What did it say they wanted to do? They wanted to steal the inheritance. Psalm 2 says that the inheritance for Jesus, I'll give you the heathen for an inheritance. If you are walking with Jesus today, you as a heathen who became a Christian, you are the inheritance that Jesus got. And now we are full-blooded sons and daughters of God enjoying the privileges of what a son gets in the inheritance. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's 10. Sorry. I get kind of excited. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Would you make that real in us today? The straining and the stress and the pressure and the... Lord, just we cast it away because we are sons and daughters of you. That matters whether our finances are great or whether they're in a shambles, whether our marriage is perfect or whether there's work to be done. It's because I'm a son and a daughter. I stand here as a co-heir with Christ this morning no longer working my way to pay the rent that I couldn't afford anyway. You paid it. You moved us in. And now we get to enjoy the vineyard. Thank you, Jesus, for that. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen.